Well, I don't know if you've ever watched or read J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Uh, I have. I watched the movies. Uh, it turns out that I uh, took a position as an associate pastor at a church, and I knew that the lead pastor there loved Lord of the Rings. So I said to myself, I better know what this is all about. Uh, so one weekend, I rented all three of those movies and watched them there like three hours each. Uh, that's the short version. The longer versions, I think, are four hours each. Uh, but the ones I watched, nine hours. Nine hours of my life that I will never, ever get back. I mean, it was terrible. Now, I know that right there, about a third of you, just I just lost you. You're like, what? He thinks the Lord of the Rings is terrible? How could he possibly think that? In fact, you're thinking, if that's his judgment, how can we trust any other judgment that he has? But if that's you, just, just hang, hang with me. Uh, first of all, here's why I didn't like it. Because I don't like that fantasy stuff. Trees talking and attacking each other and creatures showing up out of where I just I don't get it but here's what I loved about Lord of the Rings it was the story of this friendship that developed among this really diverse group of I guess creatures right I mean it's a friendship that develops between these nine very different creatures four hobbits two humans one elf one dwarf and one wizard and they're, they're on this great quest to destroy this ring that is the source of evil in their world and what's fascinating in the story is how their friendship develops along the way as they pursue this quest that they're on. And in fact, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien titled the first novel in that series of novels that he wrote, he called it The Fellowship of the Ring. In other words, there was this, this formation of this group of friends, this fellowship of companions on this journey together that became these, these close friends as they sought to accomplish the quest that they were on. As we dive into this opening part of the letter to the Philippians, it's all about a fellowship. It's all about a group of friends who are also on a quest. And like Lord of the Rings, they're a very diverse group of people. They come from very different backgrounds. In fact, if you were here last week, I told you about some of the, the backgrounds they came from. There's Lydia, the, the CEO of this fashion empire. And there's this little slave girl that was freed by the power of the gospel. And there's this Roman jailer. I mean, such different backgrounds, such different people. And yet they become this deep, deep friendship between them and the others that are part of the church because they're on this, this mission together, this quest together to, to follow Jesus, to, to see the gospel go forward. And really, they become this very beautiful form of church known as a fellowship. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me. We want to look at what it says in the, in the letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I want to invite you to just download a, an app. It's a free app. It's called the YouVersion, uh, and uh, it's very intuitive. And it'll be very easy for you to find Philippians. I want to encourage you to join us as together we look deeply into what the Word of God says. So Paul writes a letter to this church. He introduces himself and Timothy, and then this is what he writes. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of, the, of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So, Paul, as he often does, begins this letter with this prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving. And this one is particularly affectionate and warm. I mean, verse 3 says, you know, I always thank God for my remembrance of you. And and verse 4, I pray with such joy. But verse 5 is where he explains why. Here's what he says in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now that word partnership in Greek is actually the Greek word koinonia, which famously throughout other places of the Bible is translated as the word fellowship. Now the word fellowship in the Christian church has been one of the most deeply misunderstood and abused words ever. Fellowship is not, it is not, you know, drinking tea and having a couple of cookies after service with some light chit chat in the lobby. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about fellowship. Here's what a definition of biblical fellowship is. Here it is. Fellowship is a group of deeply devoted friends whose friendship has flourished through the pursuit of a common goal. In other words, fellowship isn't something that you do. You don't go to the lobby afterwards and fellowship together. Fellowship is something that you become part of. It's something that you join. J.R.R. Tolkien understood this. That's why he called it that first novel, The Fellowship of the Rings, because it was this group of friends who joined together on this mission. They they became this band of brothers, this company of fellow travelers who became deeply devoted friends as they pursued the mission that they had. And if you're not into, you know, the Lord of the Rings stuff, I mean, sports teams, sometimes you see this. Maybe you've experienced on a sports team. Team begins, it's a group of individuals, each with their skill set, each with a common goal to win the championship. And, and, you know, over the course of the season, some teams are just that. They're a group of individuals working together to win the championship. And sometimes they do. And it's like, a, you know, the star player and a couple of utility players and everyone did their part and they did. But sometimes if you watch the teams, sometimes along the way, something really magical happens. And what happens is in their quest for the championship, this team, they, they do everything together. I mean, they get up at 5 a.m. and they, they practice until they're ready to puke. And, and they, they frustrated together and they slump together and they, they find victory together and, and they celebrate together when they win. And I mean, in the process of pursuing the championship together, this friendship begins to develop among them. This deep and abiding friendship so that fascinating when you listen to them often when they get closer to the championship the conversation that comes out of their mouth isn't about who has the most passes and who has the most goals and who has the best stats but it's rather about this this camaraderie this friendship the 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 trust that they have in one another the willingness to sacrifice whatever it takes even if they don't get the glory because they're this team They're, they're this fellowship of people pursuing a goal together see a fellowship is a group of people Uh, who are deeply devoted friends and whose friendship has flourished as they pursue this common cause or this common goal. And that's what Paul's found in the church in Philippi. That's why he has such deep affection for for them because they're this bunch of people, such diverse people, but they're not just doing church together. The, The church in Philippi was this group of friends 
a band of brothers and sisters who were deeply committed to pursuing a common goal. And for them, that goal was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That goal was the the spread of the power and the transformative beauty, the life-changing good news of Jesus and what he did through his death and his resurrection. And so this group of very different people from such different backgrounds that would have never been together except for what Jesus did in their life, they've become this group of friends, this fellowship that, are, that brings such joy to one another, joy to Paul, as together in the city of Philippi, in this city where they were all about proclaiming Caesar as Lord, in the middle of that city, they sought to live as Jesus, Lord of their life, and to see the gospel spread. And Paul, he loves being part of this fellowship, this group of friends who are in mission together. In fact, every time he prayed for them, every time they came to their mind, their mind, he prayed with such joy because of the friendship that he had with them. Now, it wasn't always easy. I mean, look what he says in verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You see that word partaker right there in verse 7? That, that is another version of this same Greek word koinonia, the same word fellowship. And Paul says, look, I hold you in my heart because we have this, this friendship together that includes sharing in what he calls uh, the, the grace of his imprisonment. Now, what he's talking about there is the grace or the privilege of suffering for Jesus. And he says also of participating, they participate as well in his defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, you have to understand, if if you missed last week, that Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. He's in prison in Rome and he's going to go on trial for his faith before Caesar Nero. And and the, the church in Philippi, this band of friends who are so deeply devoted to seeing the gospel go forward, they're with Paul in this. And so they've collected money, even though they're not a wealthy church, and they've given it to a guy named Epaphroditus, and they've sent him on a long and dangerous journey for him to go there to, to, to help Paul out, to provide for his needs, because they're, they're partnering with him in the grace, in, in the suffering that he's going through there. But by the same token, when Epaphroditus got there, he would have told Paul the news of what was happening back among his friends in Philippi. And some of that news would have been that things are going hard that they're also suffering, that they're also facing challenges in the city of Philippi. And and the reason why we know this is because later in the same chapter, in verses 29 and 30, the Apostle Paul writes to his friends in Philippi, he says this, For it has been granted to you, now the word granted is literally grace, for it has been grace to you, the same grace that he's experienced and he's in prison, he says, It has been grace to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. You see, what's going on there? They also, they also are suffering for the sake of the gospel. They also are facing opposition. They also are walking together. You see, this band of friends, this this team is walking together as they serve Jesus, and it's growing their relationship in powerful and beautiful ways. That's what the church in Philippi did. They sweat together. They suffered together. They, they no doubt argued passionately about what was the best way for the gospel to go forward. They took hits for one another. They sacrificed for one another. They put their money where their mouth was and gave sacrificially. 
They pursued the gospel in their own lives and in the city that they were in. And they thrilled to the victories and they hung together through the hard times. And in the process, they became fast and deep and affectionate friends. The kind of friends that brought joy into one another's lives as they served Jesus together. That's a fellowship. And that was happening in, in that day and it's happening in our own church. You know, this church has this beautiful history of that kind of fellowship in the past. If you listen to the stories that we're telling at the beginning of the services uh, by those who've been here a long time, you'll hear in among them these stories of like, oh yeah, we just, we served together passionately for the sake of the gospel. And there was a sense of family and, and friendship. And it's just this beautiful thing that we've had in the past and, and that has carried this church through good times and hard times. But it's also what's happening now. It's where we're going. You know, we as a church, we want to imitate the church in Philippi. We want to be this, this fellowship of the gospel of Jesus Christ right here at Ridge Church in Maple Ridge, Pitt Meadows. And it's happening. There has been and continue to be this core of people in our church that are deeply devoted to the gospel in this place. And as we pursue the gospel together, there's this growing friendship among one another. There's this joy, this affection, because we're serving together for the sake of of what God is doing here. And so my invitation to you today is to join what's going on here. Partner with us for the sake of the gospel because to participate in what God is doing here is different than to simply to watch. You see, the opposite of being involved in fellowship, the opposite of being involved in a, in a band of brothers and sisters who are on mission for Jesus is to, to have much more of a consumer mindset, to, to be part of, yeah, this consumer mentality that is so prevalent within the church today. In fact, it is the great temptation in our church today. Over the next number of months, as COVID comes to an end, this is going to be the great question that every Christian in Western, in North America needs to face. And the, and the question is this, will you become a consumer Christian or will you become part of the fellowship? Because you see, when COVID is done, there's going to be a million options for everybody who's following Jesus. I mean, there will be like this buffet table of Western Christianity available to everyone. You you, you can watch this great preacher here if you want. You can send your kids to that church there. You, you can go to a conference here if you want. Or, or you can do absolutely nothing without any commitment because no one's going to know. No one's going to know what's, what's going on. And there'll be no commitment, no, no messy relationships, uh, no expectation that you serve or even be present in what's going on. In the next couple of months, it'll be the ultimate opportunity to be, to be a consumer Christian. And in fact, there's not going to be anyone to even judge you because nobody even knows if you've gone to another church or where you've been or what's going on. And there are going to be millions of Christians who choose that option. But, but it's not bad. I mean, to be a consumer Christian is kind of like watching a sports team play, right? You, you buy tickets, you go, you watch your team, you cheer them on. They win, that's cool. You go home, you're like, yeah, our team won, way to go. They lose, you say, oh, it's too bad. Yeah, if you don't want to watch your team, you can watch another team on TV. You watch them, you like cheer for them, they win, they lose, it's okay, you go on with your life. And it's not bad. You can do that. But it's not the same as being part of the team. To be part of the team, to, to join the fellowship. I mean, that's where the action's at. Then you're on the court, you're on the ice, you're sweating together, you're, you're laboring together. You're, you're, I mean, when it's hard, you hard, it's hard together. But when it goes well, when the victories are there, when, 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 when you're winning, man, there's nothing so sweet. And this deep, beautiful friendship grows along the way. 
to be part of the fellowship, to, to, to be part of that is a totally different thing. It's life-giving. It's joy-filled. It's worth doing. It's what the church in Philippi did, and it's what we're doing here. We want to invite you to join that. Look, if you're on the edge around here, if you're kind of like, I'm watching, I'm kind of, you know, on the periphery of what's happening at the church, you should come and join us. You should step in to the middle of what's going on and put your shoulder to the wheel and, and commit. Commit to what God is calling us to do here. And not just for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but for years. To what God is doing in this place. And that means you got to commit emotionally. I mean, you got to say, like, this is my home. I'm in. When they're winning, I'm happy. When, when we're losing, I'm, I'm hurting with them. But I'm, I'm emotionally committed to what's going on here. It means you need to commit physically. To be here when you can physically. To, to mix with the people of God. To just be here. It means you got to commit financially. You gotta, you, it'll cost you something to be in the fellowship, to, to be part of this group of people who are saying, yes, we're going to see the gospel go forward in this place. And you got to commit spiritually to pray and to, and to serve and to love and to follow Jesus together. Because that's what it means to be part of a fellowship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's my invitation, my challenge to you today. Commit to joining the fellowship of the gospel here at Ridge Church as we seek to let our city know who Jesus is. So the first thing we learned from, the, from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians is this, a thriving church is a fellowship for the sake of the gospel. But here's the flip side of the same coin, and we're going to see this all through Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians. While we're pursuing the gospel, while we're uh, laboring for the sake of the gospel, it's actually God who is doing that through us. Look at verse 6. He says this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul understands that ultimately it's God who is doing the work. It's God who started that church and God who will see it through. And the same is true for our church. I mean, ultimately it was God who ordained that our church should begin so many years ago. And it's God who has sustained our church through so many ups and downs over the many years that our church has served in this city. And in the end, it's God who will see us as we go forward from this place. And, and so while we partner for the sake of the gospel, while we labor together as friends for what God has called us to do here, we do so with this deep sense of confidence that, that God is at work, that this is God's church, his people, so he'll see it through. You know, uh, throughout COVID, uh, so often I've said, God, what's going to happen for our church? I mean, what's going to happen when COVID is done and who's coming back and what will it be like? And while I've been concerned, well, I'm still somewhat concerned about that. I've always prayed with this sense of confidence, but God, your church, your people, you started it, you've sustained it through so many other things, you will carry it through. So whatever it is, when we get back, it'll be so good because it's your church and your people. So there's this deep confidence that we have. So this is the second thing we learned from these opening verses of the book of Philippians. A thriving church understands that their work is ultimately God's work in and through them. And so because of that, we go forward with this deep sense of confidence. This is the church that Paul writes his letter to. And it's no wonder that every time he writes to them, he, 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 or rather every time he thinks about them, he prays with such depth of joy. But if Paul is praying for them, the question is, what exactly is he praying for them? I mean, what is this prayer that he regularly prays for them? What, what, 
What should you pray for your friends? If he's praying this for his friends, what is it that we ought to be praying for our friends? And that's what Paul explains next in this letter to him. He tells his friends, look, every time I think of you, I pray with joy. And here's what I pray for you. Look at verse 9. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now where he says, and it's my prayer, the, the verb tense that he uses there is the tense like my ongoing, my repeated, my regular prayer. He says there's three things that I regularly, ongoingly pray for you. And the first is this, that you would love more. Look at, look at what he says here. My, uh, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more. Notice that Paul doesn't have an object in that sense. He doesn't say, my prayer is that your love would abound more and more for God. Or my prayer is that your love would abound more and more for one another. Or that your love would abound more and more for your neighbor. He just says, my prayer is that your love would abound more and more. And the reason is because he wants our love to abound in all of those areas. You know, we ought to be a people who are known for love. Our reputation in this town, our reputation in our workplaces, and our schools should be like those people, those followers of Jesus, whatever else they believe and do, those are people who love. Who love one another deeply, who love us deeply, and who love their God deeply. It's Paul's first prayer for those in Philippi. Secondly, he prays that their love would abound here, he says, with knowledge. Now, the Greek word that he uses there doesn't simply mean information. It's not just, hey, may you grow with more and more information. We talked about this last week again. Rather, what he's praying that they abound in is a deeper uh, sense of knowledge. This is the, uh, the, the idea is this word of sort of this intimate knowledge that comes through personal experience. Do you know it was 20 years ago this week that I first invited Nula out on a date? I can still remember the restaurant. I was sitting in I can still remember when she came through the door. She took my breath away. I mean, it was, oh, it was unbelievable. But in that moment, if you'd have, I mean, I would have never dreamed of where God would have led us in these 20 years since that day. It's been so beautiful, so good what God has done. But over those 20 years, she's come to know me in a deep and an intimate way through the kind of personal relationship that we have. So much so that sometimes when I get mad about something, you know, when I get mad, my tendency is not to tell everybody. I, I, in fact, I don't want people to know, so I kind of push it down. I kind of act like everything's just fine, and I, I just kind of ignore it. But you know, she knows me so well that, that I'll come home and she'll be like, how are you? Like, I'm good. Everything's good. And she'll be like, what's wrong? And I'll be like, what do you mean? What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. She's like, she'll say this to me all the time. She's like, John, I've known you already 20 years. I know that something's wrong. And it drives me crazy because I don't want to talk about it. I want to fight. I'm like, but she knows because we have that kind of a relationship. And that's the, that's the word that the Apostle Paul uses here. That kind of knowing that comes from a deep personal relationship. And so his prayer for the church in Philippi, for these friends that he's so affectionate with, that he loves so deeply, is that they would know Jesus more. That they would know him deeply and personally. And really, this is the heart of discipleship, to know Jesus now, of course, one of the major ways that we, that we know Jesus is through uh, his word. He reveals to us who he is in his word. A guy named uh, Frank Sheed uh, writes this. He says this. A virtuous man may be ignorant, but ignorance is not a virtue. 
It would be a strange God who could be loved better by being known less. Love of God is not the same thing as knowledge of God. Love of God is immeasurably more important than knowledge of God. But if a man loves God knowing a little about him, he should love God more from knowing more about him. For every new thing known about God is a new reason for loving God. You know, we need to continue to know God. We need to continue to know his word, to study his word, to understand who Jesus is, who God is, as it's revealed to us in his word. You know, if you have a superficial love for God, it's a sign that you have a superficial knowledge of who God is. So one of the ways that we know Jesus, because we don't meet him personally on the street, is by knowing him through his word. And we just need to keep walking deeper and deeper in our understanding of his word. But again, the knowledge is not enough. You can have an awful lot of knowledge and not have that kind of personal, intimate relationship. And that's really Paul's prayer for the, the church in Philippi. And that, that grows out of the, the knowledge of the word of God becomes a seed out of which grows our prayer life and our worship and our service and our sacrifice so that we have this kind of relationship with God where his spirit begins to, to nudge us and to lead us and to guide us. And we just know who Jesus is. It's the second thing that Paul prays for, for the church in Philippi. And the third thing that he prays for is that they would grow in all discernment. And that word, that has this idea of practical knowledge. That's like how to live it out daily in daily life. Uh, probably the closest word that we have here in English would be wisdom. So Paul's prayer for his friends, thirdly, is that they would gain more wisdom. Gain more understanding of how to live practically in the day-to-day -day world that we live in, in light of who Jesus is. So these three things are what Paul prays for. He prays for abounding in love, loving more. He prays for knowing Jesus more and for gaining knowledge and wisdom. And these things really are, the, are the, the heart or the center. They're the ingredients really for spiritual growth and for spiritual maturity. So what is Paul's repeated ongoing prayer for this group of friends that are so passionate for the gospel? The answer is that they would grow his prayers that they would grow in spiritual maturity. So here's the question. Is that the kind of prayer that you have for your friends? I mean, when you pray for your friends, is that, is that the prayer? You know, I've been a part of a community group for years and years. And when it comes time for prayer, we always pray in our community group. We always pray for all kinds of things. Lots of health issues. Sometimes family members. Stuff going on in their world. Uh, sometimes for guidance and and those are good things. I mean, this week in my community group, we prayed for those very things. Other times in our community group, not in the one I'm in now, but some of the ones I've been in the past. I mean, some of the prayer things have been wild, a little bizarre. Like the time it was, you know, let's pray for my aunt who's in Ontario about the bunions on her feet. Uh, okay, L let's pray about that. But maybe we should just invite her to go to see her local doctor, you know. Uh, but we did. I mean, we prayed about some of those things. But the question is, are we also praying? Are we praying for the spiritual growth of one another? I mean, I wonder how often our prayers are that we would abound in love. Abound in love in those places where we find it hard to love. Maybe in our workplaces, maybe in our own homes, maybe with some of our extended family. Are we praying for one another that our love would grow? Or pray that, that, that we would know Jesus more, more deeply and intimately, especially when sometimes we get, you know, kind of weary in our walk, sometimes when we're drifting, it happens for all of us. 
And to be honest and say, let's pray because I want to know Jesus more, but I'm feeling far from him. Pray, pray that we would have wisdom for the day-to-day challenges that come along. How do I live for Jesus in this situation? Pray for wisdom for how to live for Jesus in that kind of way. Maybe the next time it gets kind of quiet and awkward in your group, before someone throws out something crazy about their you know, great aunt who lives in Ontario, why don't you suggest, let's pray for one another to grow more deeply in our spiritual walk. Because that's, that's the prayer that Paul prayed for his close friends in the church of Philippi. And here's why he prays that. He gives three reasons. And we find those in verse, uh, beginning in verse 10. Here's the first reason. He prays that they would grow deeply in their spiritual uh, maturity, first of all, so that you may approve what is excellent. Now, here's what Paul's talking about there. You know, in our, in our daily lives as followers of Jesus, there's some things we just know. The Bible's just so clear. Like, you know, should I, should I steal from my employer? First of all, I hope you're not asking that question. But secondly, the answer is clearly no. The Bible is unequivocal that we're not to steal. So there's no question about that. But there are all kinds of other challenges and situations that come up in our life where it's not quite so clear. I mean, the Bible gives us some general principles. But what we need is spiritual maturity to know how to walk in those situations. So, for example, I was talking to a guy the other day who told me that in his workplace, the culture of his workplace is that it's acceptable. In fact, it's almost expected that if a supervisor is unhappy with one of the employees, that they will literally yell at them, that they will shout at them, sometimes for like five or ten minutes at a time. Now, this is not some backwoods place that he's working. This is a group of professionals. And he's a guy who is deeply committed to following Jesus. And his question is, how? How do I handle that? I mean, how do I respond as a follower of Jesus when I haven't done anything particularly wrong? I'm an adult, I'm a professional, and my boss is yelling at me for 10 minutes. Now, that's the kind of thing that that requires maturity, spiritual maturity. That that requires growth in in love. That requires knowing Jesus on a deeper level. And it it requires wisdom. And so so the first place uh, that Paul praise for the, the church is that they would grow in, in uh, spiritual maturity so that they would understand how to live well in the present, how to live well in the world around us. And we all have those kinds of situations where we need the wisdom of God, the, the spiritual maturity to know this situation isn't black and white, but somewhere God's going to give me guidance to how to live. That's the first place. Then secondly, he says this again, verse 10 says this, He prays for spiritual maturity so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The second reason that Paul prays this way is so that we will finish well. See, he's looking now to to that day when we stand before Jesus, when Christ returns. And his prayer is that we would have the kind of spiritual maturity so that we would be, first of all, pure. The idea there is that we'd have pure motives, that, that the way that we would have lived throughout our life is out of pure motives of following Jesus. And secondly, that we would be blameless. Now, blameless doesn't mean that he's praying that somehow we would not sin at all evermore because that simply doesn't happen. But rather, the, the idea there uh, is that we would not cause others to stumble. That when we stand before Jesus, we'd say, By the grace of God, as I've grown in maturity, my motives have been pure and I've lived in such a way to not lead others to stumble. It's the second thing that he prays for them. And then here's the third. And again, he begins in verse 10. He prays for spiritual maturity so that you may approve what is excellent, 
so they may pure, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And then in verse 11, he says, it's filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As Christ is at work in us, as the fruit of the Spirit of Christ is at work in us. We've talked about this, the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about this for the last couple of months. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As that grows in us, as we become spiritually mature, he says the result ultimately of it is that God is glorified. God is honored both in our lives individually and as our lives corporately as together, as this band of friends who follow Jesus together, as we live for him, the people of the world say, God be glorified. You know, Paul's prayer for his close friends is that they would grow spiritually. And my question for you is that, is that happening for you? Are you growing spiritually? And, who, and who's discipling you? I mean, is it your podcasts that are discipling you? And if so, I mean, take some time and look carefully at the podcast that you're listening to. Are they, are they pointing to Jesus? Are they helping you, your love to abound more and more? Are they leading you to a deeper knowledge of Jesus? Are they giving you wisdom? Or are, are the podcasts you're listening to just firing you up about some of the craziness going on out there and then somehow teaching you that there's a different way to find salvation for our world than pointing to Jesus? Maybe it's not your podcasts that are discipling you. Maybe it's all the entertainment. There's a lot of good entertainment out there. But, but maybe there's just so much entertainment in your world that is shaping how you think and how you understand what is excellent and good and how you find wisdom to live in this life. But it's not pointing you to Jesus. You know, somewhere, somehow you're being discipled about how to find what is most excellent and how to finish well. And, and somewhere, somehow in your life, you're giving glory to someone. And that, that ultimately, if we're followers of Jesus, needs to be Jesus. And so if that's not in Jesus, I mean, you know, maybe it's too much podcast. Maybe it's too much entertainment, in which case you don't have to stop it altogether. But you should, you should limit that. And instead, you need to ask, where is it that I need to jumpstart my discipleship with Jesus? Where do I need to spend more time allowing him and his word to shape me and to guide how I think so that I know what is excellent, so that I live in light of the future, so that my life glorifies God? And how are you praying for your friends? I mean, do your prayers for your friends imitate Paul's prayers for his friends? How are you praying for your husband and your wife? How are you praying for your kids? Hopefully you're praying for the immediate things, for the health issues and the situations they find themselves in every day. But you should also pray for their spiritual growth. I mean, your prayers should be like, you know, sometimes parents have these kinds of prayers when they put their kids to bed at night. They pray for the things that happen today at school and the hard stuff. They, they pray that God would be with them through the watches of the night. You know, God, pray for no bad dreams. But then their prayers, and God, would you make my son to grow up to be a man of God, filled with courage and passion for you? God, would you lead my beautiful little girl to grow up to be a woman of God, filled with passion for your kingdom and, and this deep sense of grace in her life? Those prayers that we pray for our kids, we should pray those for our husbands and for our wives and for our friends and, and for one another as we together in this place are this fellowship, this, this group of friends deeply devoted to the mission that God has given us that our city would know Jesus, walking together for the sake of the gospel in this place. That's, that's the call that we hear from these words 
in Philippians here today. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for these opening words and this beautiful letter that the Apostle Paul writes to his, to his friends, to the fellowship of believers in Philippi. And Father, our desire likewise is to imitate that church. Father, to imitate this deep passion and this growing friendship among one another as we pursue the mission and the vision that you've given us. Father, the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in our own lives and in our city. And so, Lord, I pray that you would knit us together. Father, that you would send others to join us on this mission that we have. Father, I pray for those who are on the periphery that they would step in and say, yeah, me too. I, I too want to be part of this, this fellowship of what God is doing among us. And Father, may we grow spiritually as we do it. May we grow deeper in our love for, for everyone, for you, for one another, for our neighbors, and deeper in our knowledge of Jesus. And may we live with such wisdom in this world that we live in today. So we give ourselves to you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>